Um, good morning, everyone. Okay. Um, my friend Henry is going to read Isaiah us chapter thirty-five from verse three to verse ten on page seven two zero and then Hebrews chapter twelve from verse one to verse seventeen on page one two one two. All right, firstly, uh, Isaiah chapter 35, starting from verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon the heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son 
whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which without, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Thanks, Henry and Anna. Good on you, Hannah. Last time I was up here, I was talking about encouragement and people in our church having the gift of encouragement. And there really was a fairly obvious example that I ought to have pointed to, wasn't there? Isn't Anna a great gift to us as a church? You are a champion. You're awesome, son and boy. Good on you, Anna. Go to buddies. Well, (laughs) the nights are still a chance, so let's not get too carried away. So we're talking about running the race. We're going to be talking about it as a marathon race. That's life. And there are all kinds of things that distract us and discourage us. And uh, that's what we're going to be pressing into today. So uh, I want to think about that with you. We're going to do that as we look at Hebrews 12 together. Uh, But let me pray as we come to read God's Word, shall I? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of being here today. We thank you for one another. Uh, We thank you that we are your gift to each other. And we thank you for a chance to listen to you speak through your word now. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that the words that I say would be true and faithful, not distracting uh, and easy to understand. And I pray, Father, that all of us might not be distracted, but that we might be encouraged, indeed transformed by your living, active word. We pray it for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we think about pain in the world and the reality of the painful things that happen in the world, um, I thought I would read to you a quote um, from one of the most influential philosophers and prophets of our age. Uh, It goes like this. 
Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is a god. Karma is the breeze in my hair on the weekend. Karma's a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? Sweet like honey? Karma is a cat purring in my lap because it loves me. The prophet of our age is Taylor Swift. Uh, and Taylor Swift is putting out there the, uh, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the ancient concept of karma as some kind of comforting thought as you struggle with pain and the realities of things going on in the world. Except do you see what she says? That works if you're rich and successful. Karma's a comforting thought. If you think that you're getting what you deserve and what you deserve is obviously success and wealth and fame and that's great. But did you catch her line in there? Karma's a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? See, what does karma say to people who are struggling and in pain? It says, you are getting what you deserved. Well, there's no comfort in that, is there? She goes on to sing, karma is the thunder rattling your ground. Karma's on your scent like a bounty hunter. It's going to track you down, step by step, town to town, sweet like justice. Karma is a horrible idea if you are going through difficult times in life. It is the idea that says you are getting what you want and there is no way out. And what we are going to look at today is an incredible alternative to that. The truth which brings so much more comfort and joy. But you know that pain in life is a problem for every worldview, every religious idea, in fact, for everyone. The reality of pain and difficulty in life is Hinduism says you must deserve it. Buddhism says you must detract yourself from it. Um, uh, seek to be detached. Islam says that all of our pain is just the will of Allah and there's nothing you can do. Secularism says that there is nothing beyond this life, so if pain is what you've got, that's it. That's all there is. And it is meaningless. Utilitarianism, the idea that we should be maximising pleasure and minimising pain for the most amount of people, which is great if you're in the majority and not so good if you're in a minority group. Do you see, everybody struggles with how do you cope with the reality of difficulties in life? And I want to say to you again that God in his word brings us such comfort and such empowerment to deal with the realities of life. It is not simple, it is not easy. I don't want to give you simple, easy answers. I do want to wrestle with you, though, with what Hebrews 12 actually says to people who might be going through difficult times in life right now. And not just right now, but between now and the time Jesus returns or you and me die first. How do you cope? How do you keep running this race? That's what all this is about. Last week, as Andy was talking to us from uh, Hebrews 11, those of you, look, it's 2,000 years of church history he covered there with all the big names. And um, if you found it hard to keep up with all of that, 
Um, don't, don't worry too much about the detail. That's the whole of the Old Testament. There's a lot of detail, a lot of people. Every name, huge stories attached. But every single one of them, as Andy reminded us, was flawed. Every single one of them, they, they weren't perfect. They weren't the faithful because they got everything in life right and life went smoothly for them. There were drunks and liars and cowards and murderers all in that list. All kinds of people, ordinary people, like you and me, ordinary people. And the thing that that whole chapter pointed out was that ordinary people, if they trust in God, if they have faith in God, they are extraordinary. And what this part of the Bible is urging us to do is to follow their example, to be like them. Hebrews 12 from verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance this race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. See, what it's doing is actually pointing... Yes, there was a, there was a chapter for 2,000 years of great examples, but focus now on this one, this man of faith, Jesus. He is the founder and the perfecter. He was the first one. He went ahead of us. But he is also the one, the only one, that could do it. And Hebrews says, look at him. Consider him. Consider him. Fix your eyes on him so that you won't grow weary or lose heart. And I've got to confess to you this morning that in all of life's pains and prayers, uh, pleasures, distractions, pressures, and all of the things that go on, I find it easy to get distracted. I find it easy to be discouraged, to grow weary and lose heart. And if you're like me, this is a letter, this is a chapter that's written for people like us. So let's get into it. Uh, roll into verse 4, and we're looking at the world of pain. What is it like? Now, I've just before I go into verse 4, I want to say, this is not a particularly encouraging start to the answer, right? If you were one of the first people reading Hebrews, you would not have liked to have read, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Like, if I was reading that, I think I would have rather, he said, something like, it'll be all right, you won't have to shed your blood. But he doesn't say that. He said, you've not yet got to that point. And the reality is that for the people who first got this, well, let me read you what was going on at that time for Christians. Uh, this is written by a Roman historian named Tacitus um, uh, in the time of Emperor Nero, about 64 uh, AD. That's the time this letter is being written to Christian people. This is what Tacitus said of Christians. He said, their death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs, or they were fastened to crosses and set on fire in order to serve as torches by night when the daylight failed. 
And it is almost certain that some of the people who first read this letter suffered that fate. So Paul's not kidding around when he says life could be very, very tough. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What we're getting in the whole chapter, though, isn't that specific. So you don't have to be in that kind of circumstance um, to be reading this and finding that it's talking about your life. All of us live just generally in a world of sin and pain. Now, that doesn't mean that every time something goes wrong, I can look at that sin and see that there's this connection that that sin has caused this pain. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you can see the result of persecution or a drunk driver or an evil, violent person. Sometimes you can see a direct connection between that sin and this pain, but most often not. Most often we don't know. It's just that we live in a world where, where things are broken, where things go wrong. And you can't see... There's a general connection, but you can't see it. The truth is, though, that before there was rebellion against God, there was no pain. And ever since people have been rebelling against God, there is pain. And there will be until we get to a new heaven and new earth. So if you want to live well, if you want to live successfully, if you want to endure in this life, you've got to deal with how you live in a broken world. How you live in a world where things go wrong. A world of sin and pain. We can't wish our pain away. But hanging on through pain is all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of how we see the pain. Verse 7 seems to me to have the controlling idea of the passage. It says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. It's a command here, actually. The command to endure, to persevere, to keep going. Because that is how we are trained or how we are disciplined. I think we see the word discipline. Certainly when I see the word discipline, I think of punishment, right? Discipline's punishment. Um, That's not the only way that we use the word and that's not the way the word's been used here. It's more like discipline as training. So if you want to be a pianist, a piano player, you have to practice discipline. If you want to grow muscles, you go to the gym, discipline. You endure, you press through it, you keep going. Um, It's forming good habits and getting rid of bad habits. It's purposely rehearsing skills, getting more competent, training. That's what discipline is. Endure, he says, keep going in hard times because that is the way you get trained. That's what training is. Just keep going. It's a training exercise. All the pain we feel in life, perhaps specifically that terrible and deadly persecution the Hebrews were just about to face, the writer says, endure for discipline or endure for the purpose of discipline. Endure, keep going so that you will be trained up properly. Stick at it. This is how God is changing you. Stick at it. 
The pain in life is a training exercise. It's a process through which God is disciplining, making disciples of us. Now, that is a very radical and objectionable way to talk about pain in this world. I'll admit that right up front. Okay? To say that today is to reject the idea that pleasure is good and pain is bad. It's to reject the idea that my greatest goal in life is to live the happiest, most pleasurable life I can. It is saying that's actually not that good for you. If you want to be trained, if you want to be disciplined, if you, if you want to, you must endure through pain. And therefore, the perspective you have on your pain is it is not something that is all evil and all to be rejected. There's a way of looking at it that says, this is how I'm going to grow up. This is how I'm going to be developed well. It's training. Let me just talk to you about the positives of pain. How can you see? There's two, two positives I want to point out from this passage. The first one is that pain can be evidence of our sonship. Now, just for half the room who doesn't want to be called a son, just hold on. I'm going to get to why that's, that's good news for you, but just hold on. Verse 7 God is treating you as sons in pain. Um, I've got a mate who also has children when both of us had toddler, or actually his kids are older than mine. Uh, he had a little boy uh, and when he was teething, you know, when little kids are teething, all you need is something cold and hard to chew down on, right? And it just brings some relief. And so this little toddler found the secret, something cold and hard, just the right height that you could chew down on. Uh, it's made of porcelain, so it's always cold and hard. And it's right at the right height, and you just... But my friend thought maybe letting his toddler chew on the toilet bowl was perhaps not exactly the best thing for him. And so he locked him out of the toilet so he couldn't bite down on the toilet bowl. Now, what a terrible dad making this kid do that. Now, discipline is good, right? Discipline gives good directions. Discipline is an act of love. His dad knew better. And even though it upset the little boy, I think we can all agree it's probably a better result to find something else to chew on. You see, parents who love their children discipline them, verse 6. The Lord disciplines those... He, discipline is an act of love. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us because He loves us. Look at the goal in verse 10. Verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, uh, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. See, God wants us to share His holiness, to be with Him. We can't be with Him unless we're made holy. How do you get changed to be more like that? Life is this training ground and the thing God uses is discipline to make us holy. 
That's the goal. Discipline is a good thing. It's an act of love. Now, can I say, um, this is not the main um, uh, point of the passage or anything, but uh, we've got a lot of kids in church now. It's terrific. So that means there's lots of parents around here. Just a quick word to the parents. Setting and enforcing clear boundaries for your kids is a great act of love. Discipline is love. So sit down with your Bible, listen to the wise advice of other people, but for goodness sake, we have to do it. And the earlier you do it, the younger they are when you start, well, the easier it is. It only keeps getting harder if you don't discipline children. I think we parents are far too quick to throw our hands in the air and say, oh, what can I do? What can I do? The loving thing to do is to set and to keep clear boundaries for kids. That's the way we love them. There's other people here, though, who still live with their mum and dad. Just a quick word to you. If you still live with your mum and dad, can I say, I think one of the greatest acid tests for you in your holiness is are you able to submit to your parents? Can can you actually honour them while you're living in their house? That's tough, isn't it? That's really hard. But that is the great battleground for discipleship. If you're particularly teenagers, 20s, still living with mum and dad, that's a, that's a great, clear indication that the Spirit is at work if you're able to joyfully submit to your parents' discipline. Um, isn't it funny? When, when I was a teenager, I was in such a hurry to grow up. Then you spend the rest of your life wishing you were younger, right? <laughs> Just live it up. Uh, enjoy it. It's good to be a kid. Uh, enjoy it. It's good. That's not the main point of this passage, but um, it's through hard times God disciplines us just like a loving parent disciplines their child. And it's evidence that we are his sons. Now in this passage, the word for children is used and the word for sons is used. So it's, a, it's not a mistake, he knew both words. There's a word for boy and girl children, the word for just boy children. And it says that all of us, men and women, in this context are sons. Why? Well, because in Jewish society... The son is the heir. The son is the inheritor of the promises. So this is not about our gender. But um, if we smoothed over it and took out the word sons, we'd miss the really important part that God is treating us like the inheritors of the things he has promised. That's the key point about God treating us as sons. He's giving us the things he has promised. That's how he is treating us here. So that's the first, um, uh, the, the first comfort, the first evidence. Um, uh, pain is an evidence of our sonship. The second thing, the second positive of pain, is that pain can be a great means of our growth. growth. Um, it's not that we enjoy it. Certainly we shouldn't go looking for it, but we can learn an enormous amount through our pain in time. It's been nearly 10 years now since my dad died, um, nearly 21 years since Marg's mum's died. Um, if someone had have told me soon after their deaths, well, this has all happened because God loves Margie and you and you're going to learn lots and what a great blessing this is, I probably would have punched them. 
probably more than once. But later on, down the track, I can look back and say that more than all of the books that I've read and wise people that I've heard listen to, I've learnt more through grief than almost anything else. And it's grief that has actually given me a bit more steel in my spine. And as hard as those things are for us, and whether it's grief or sickness or the pain of broken relationships, whatever it is for you, to endure through those things may well be, in time, one of the greatest ways of you growing as a Christian man or woman. Um, can I just make another simple tip here, though? Um, particularly if you're talking to somebody who's in, the, in pain right then and there, um, James 1, quick to listen, slow to speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, especially, can I say men? Uh, because I think we have an overdeveloped sense of how to say stupid things. Um, what we need to do is to stop trying to fix it. Just listen. That's okay. God willing, there'll be time. And in time, we can have the longer conversation. We need to know these things now if we're not in a crisis. You need to know this now so that when you are in a crisis, it's not new news then. But if you are talking to somebody who is going through immense pain right now, this is not the word to give them in that season. It's for later. Okay. Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The harvest comes later. Okay? Respect the pain, the harvest and our appreciation of it will come later. But there's work to be done, isn't there? There's work to be done to maintain this perspective. The perspective of pain actually having anything positive to teach us at all. And it's this perspective we get from verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, the writer's concerned that we don't grow weary and lose heart on this long, painful struggle. We might feel feeble or weak and preparations need to be made for those times when you feel feeble or weak. Paths have to be straight and level so that weak people don't stumble on those paths and do ourselves lasting damage. We aren't the first people to be in this position but the feeble people of God um, always recognise this. So that first reading that we had this morning from Isaiah 35 was this great promise looking forward uh, to a time when there'll be peace and not even the lions will kind of tear you to pieces. Everything's going perfectly. But at the time that was written, the city of Babylon was surrounded by an enemy 
and those people were actually going to be overrun. And in that situation, the promise of God was to look forward to a day when it would all be set right. Do you notice here that what he says to the people who are feeling afraid, weak-kneed, feeble... He says, endure, toughen up, take a spoon of concrete, get on with it. If you're weak, be tough, he says. But for all of us, there's a road building project as well to make straight paths, to make it easier for people who are struggling to go on the path to... (coughs) Excuse me, I can't get away from this microphone, I'm sorry. Um, uh, To make straight paths for holiness. How do you make it easier? Well, you can do that for yourself by setting up habits. That's what making a straight path for holiness will look like. Delete the apps that stoke your temptation to greed or jealousy or lust or whatever it is. Excuse me. Thank you, Anna. Um, If meeting with a group of friends helps you more than tempts you, meet with them more and meet with the friends that lead you astray less. Get into training habits that are healthy for you. Instead of spending time gossiping or being selfish, making straight paths for yourselves is, is getting into good habits. Getting into good habits makes it easier to stay on the straight path. If you're in bad habits, it's easy to fall away or to trip up. But we can do that for one another as well. We can make the path easier and straighter for one another. So that when our friend is feeling weak need, feeling feeble, is being tempted, is whatever it is, that we make it easier for them to stay on the straight path too. How do you build roads for one another? Well, we support good habits like we saw a couple of weeks ago. Just turning up and speaking up is a great encouragement to one another. That makes it easier to be here. That makes it easier to stay in contact, in relationship with one another. That's a straight path. Um, It means reminding one another of our hope. Reminding one another, most especially, of the Lord Jesus. Consider him and help your friends to consider him the pioneer and perfecter of our hope, of our faith. It's our our hope, our faith, the future that Jesus has guaranteed us. It's focusing on that that enables us to endure when there are roadblocks, when there are difficulties and temptations. So we can make the way flat, the path flat and straight, by just making it easier for one another to be encouraged and directed back to the Lord Jesus. That's a great service that we can do for one another, week by week and day by day, to remind one another of him, rather than to distract one another with other things. If you wait until the pain comes to talk about hope then, It may well be too late. It's hard to hear in the moment. So we need to spur one another on before you get to the crisis point. 
So often in the big moments in life, they come down to a choice between holiness and a good-looking stew. It might not seem obvious, but look at verse 14. Here's the choice that comes in life. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one's sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, a good-looking stew. For you know that afterward, when he decided to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau was the heir to the greatest promises that had ever been made, but one day he was hungry and he said to his brother Jacob, I'll make a deal, you give me some stew, I'll give you the promises. He sold his great hope for instant gratification. And that's what the big moments in life are often like for us as well. That's how temptation works. It's giving up the eternal, the huge, for something that promises instant gratification to make you feel better just in the moment now. I don't know of a single person who's gone from being a Christian uh, Uh, to rejecting God like that. There there might be people out there, but I don't know any people like that. What I do know of, though, is lots of people who've sold their birthright one meal at a time, one little temptation at a time, giving up good habits, taking on bad habits, just one at a time, and slowly over time, it becomes too hard to endure. The road is too rough, The path is too windy and bit by bit they just fall away. It's the little decisions we need to be wary of, the little decisions that lead us away from the Lord Jesus, the little decisions that say, I am going to focus on this thing that will distract me from Jesus. I'm going to give in to this temptation which makes the next, next temptation easier to justify and the next one. It's the little decisions. So if you're prone to distraction and temptation, if you're prone to getting weary and losing heart, here's what we're to do. Right back up at the start of chapter 12, I, I skipped over it, but we're going to finish just by focusing back on those first couple of verses. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin which clings so closely you know what it is for you maybe it's a favorite sin your most enjoyable distraction from the gospel can i urge you pray that god would take the joy out of that thing for you that it would become a a bitter taste in your mouth that it would turn your stomach when you're faced with that temptation. Pray that God would do that work in your heart to make that thing that seems tempting look as ugly as it really is. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that clings so closely. The promises are false. The thing does not bring you joy if it distracts you from Jesus. Because we're supposed to be running. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. 
Uh, just like our, our little kids talk thing, the, it, it's a marathon race. Run with endurance. It's the, it's the marathon race. And we need to go from the start expecting to have to persevere, to stick at it. Um, I talked to a friend uh, recently who ran the city to surf and I asked her how it went. Um, and, and I particularly asked her how Heartbreak Hill was. Um, in the car, it never seemed so hard, right? But I said, you know, how was Heartbreak? She said, oh, my legs were burning. I said, why do you do it? She said, because once you get over the top of Heartbreak Hill, you know it's all downhill to the beach. Friends, you and I, we're just at the top of the hill. And in just a little while, we'll be there. In just a little while, the Lord Jesus will return. We'll be with him. In just a little while. And so we need to fix our eyes on him. We fix our eyes on him. Do you see why he endured the pain, the shame of the cross? Because of the joy set before him. We're nearly at the top of the hill and then all we'll see is a new heavens and a new earth. Persevere. Press on. Worked it out this week. I reckon I've probably only got about 10 visits to the dentist left. It's not long, eh? It's not long. Before you know it, we'll be there. Don't lose heart, friends. We are going to taste the joy that's been promised. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and we thank you that it reminds us again and again of the Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured even the cross, that we could be made holy, that we could be your friends forever. And Father, we pray that we would not be distracted by anything, but that this joy set before us would help us to endure even when life is really tough. And Father, we pray not just will we endure ourselves, but we pray that you'd, you'd give us a real love for one another, that we would look for ways to make the path wide and flat and straight for each other, that we'd make it easier for each other to focus on Jesus and not be distracted by the world. We pray it, Father, in his name. Amen.